shows up on a show for rappers rather than singers. So anyway, that will actually take us to the last song of the day, and it's by one of China's most popular pop princesses, Jane, Zhang Zhang Liangyin, and the song is called Bookmarks. And this particular song is that it's it's something that's very familiar. It's a little bit in the R&B style, but it's kind of a melody and kind of a style that we've all heard at least once before, so it's very familiar, but it's actually extremely, extremely soothing. And for this particular song, what she's really trying to convey is that life is like a book. There are chapters, parts that make a story. Never forget the good or the bad, all of the ups and downs. Don't let them dictate you. You have to find a balance in between, kind of like a bookmark separating the two pages and perhaps even chapters. Stay true and remember all of the things that have happened in your past. It's not necessarily about a significant other. If you actually watch the MV, the music video for this particular song, it's actually about two sisters. So that will actually do it for this week's Asian Wave 101. Coming up next is our weekly arts report. Jake is absent this week, but we have Andy and Christine coming in, filling in for him. So stick around and show them lots of love. That will do it for this week week's Asian Wave 101. If you have a request for me at all, don't hesitate to send it to me at AsianWave101 at gmail.com. Any thoughts on this week's news, send it my way. I want to hear from you, AsianWave101 at gmail.com. I'm your host, Steve Zhang, for uh, for CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, live from the University of British Columbia campus in our on-campus studio. Thank you once again, and that'll be Jane Zhang with Bookmarks to play us out. Take care, everyone.
伤都会了解，就连快乐也加倍，什么都没变，当回忆轻忽。This week on the Arts Report: film, theater, dance, books, visual art, and more. Every Wednesday at 5 p.m., the Arts Reporters explore what's fun, fascinating, campy, or critical in the Vancouver art scene. You can find bonus content on our Mixcloud, Facebook, and Twitter. Got an idea for a review, interview, or original production? Email arts at citr.ca. Listen Wednesdays at 5 p.m. or anytime on citr.ca. Welcome to the Arts Report. It's uh, Wednesday, September the second, isn't it? September the second, 5 p.m. or 5:06, really. We should start. We should have started a while ago. But today it's uh, me and Christine in the studio. Jake is uh, off to Whistler, I believe, and Jacob is in Kelowna. Today is kind of a different show. We're going to have a lot of pre-produced content, pre-recorded content. But me and Christine will hold the fort down. We've got some stuff to talk about uh, a bit later. First up, though, is um, is Jacob. He's going to have an interview coming up with. Uh, it's about Fringe Festival in advance, promoting it right now. And it's going to be about Titus Andronicus, a musical version of that, the the Shakespeare play, not not the band from New Jersey. Here it goes. This week on the Arts Report. Welcome to this fringy life on CITR 101.9 FM. This is a special broadcast from the Arts Report. Each episode, we bring you stories from the Fringe in advance of Fringe Festival. The Vancouver Fringe Festival runs in September from the 10th to the 20th. For more information about Fringe Fest, check out VancouverFringe.com. And for more information about the Arts Report, visit CITR.ca.
Hello, and welcome to This Fringy Life. I'm Jake Costello, and I'll be your host today while we talk about classics with a twist at the Vancouver Fringe Festival. Titus Andronicus doesn't make everyone's list of favorite Shakespeare plays. It is dark and filled with murder, rape, revenge, and more political backstabbings than your average Game of Thrones episode. While widely popular in Shakespeare's day, the play almost didn't survive the Victorian era. According to author and historian A.L. Rose, in the civilized Victorian age, the play could not be performed because it was too barbaric to be believed. This year at the Fringe, however, the play might feel a little bit more accessible. Awkward Stage Productions is set to reveal a world premiere of Andrew Wade's reworking of the play as Titus, the light and delightful musical comedy of Titus Andronicus. Last week, I sat down with some of the performers to talk about the play. The day after the first rehearsal, I had a long talk with all my friends about all like, the themes brought up in the show, and it was, it was a very eye-opening. And I think, that, um, I think that doing the show has helped me a lot. One of the things that I'm really excited about in this show is the fact that we have a lot of women playing male characters who would not have roles in this play. If you were doing Titus Andronicus traditionally, there are two female characters. Who were, yeah, originally, <laughs> who would have been played by men. What if William Shakespeare was worried about being politically correct? Beauteous ladies, attentive gentlemen, children should not be here. May I proudly present the light and delightful musical comedy of Titus and Veronicus. My name is Nathan Cattell, and I'm playing Titus in Titus. Uh, my name is Kaz Lesgard, and I'm playing William Shakespeare. My name is Vu Pradonovich, and I'm playing Alarpus and Goth Three. Uh, I'm Natasha Zatcher. I'm playing Martius, one of Titus's sons, and a goth. And I'm Zach Wolfman, and I am playing Bassianus and the nurse. And I'm Courtney Shields. I'm playing Marcus Andronicus, uh, Titus's brother and a senator of Rome. What appeals to me most about um, this show is that it's satirizing the the play. But in doing so, it also makes us re-examine our society and how we consume violence in entertainment and, and just our ideas about political correctness and, and when things are appropriate and inappropriate and, and how that relates to morality. And so I think, I think it's, it's quite a, a thinking piece. And so that's, that's what really appeals to me, as well as being light and delightful and satirical and funny. Um, and, and the show does go to some very dark places as well. So I think it's, it's, it's quite a roller coaster, and, and that's, uh, that's what appeals to me most about it. And I think one of the other like, biggest components that's been uh, played with in this version, um, Andrew Wade is the, wrote it. Um, wrote the book, and uh, he, gender, like the construct of gender is such a huge issue in the original Titus Andronicus, and the all males are male, the, the, yeah, absolutely true, yeah. but like, I mean, if you look at like Midsummer or something, you see like a little more fluidity, I suppose, but like, Titus is like, the men are men, the women are women, and there's all kinds of, obviously, issues that come up if you've read the play that surround that, um, and in this version, we've got women playing men and men playing women and and it's uh, I think that's more like accessible for uh, for today's audiences and it I think overall makes 
the story itself more accessible. Yeah, more accessible is definitely the word. I think it like really like lifts it up and brings it to life in a way, like making some things contemporary while you have like the old, um, I guess, verse. Um, and it, it's great to see how that like lifts out and then goes into the songs as well because you can like take like a nice uh, structure of something and then have it in a song like a lot of um, uh, the lines in the music when I was going back and taking a look at the original Titus script like you can actually see the parallels and it's really funny to uh, to go back and read it so I think if you have read Titus or seen it like even once you will like uh, get a lot more out of the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But even if you haven't, even if you haven't, it's still, right. still super, super accessible. Super and yeah. really funny. It's so funny. And yeah, it's interesting because you guys were talking about issues of gender, and uh, that's definitely something that's that's explored in a humorous but very pointed way in this show, as well as uh, things like racism and and how uh, in our culture we love to kind of say oh oh yes of course no you know I'm not racist and, and I'm fine with everyone but it, a lot of the time we're just saying that it's just kind of a, um, it's all surface stuff and we don't really we like to skirt around the real issues when you I look think, at like the employment statistics of like big companies yeah you're like mm-hmm. no yeah you're, you're it's been a diversity markers it's been a fun that. rehearsal period so far because We've had a lot of discussions about where the line is and how far is too far, and how you could, one our very first read through rehearsal after we read the play, we spent close to an hour having a discussion about how to properly construct a joke about rape. How do you do that? Should you do that? What's the best way of doing that? What What's funny as opposed to what goes too far? Well, yeah, I want to ask about that because Titus Andronicus is like this. It's like Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. basically. You know, there's like mm-hmm. revenge and murder and yeah. and rape. People lose hands. Politics. Yeah, that's a really great comparison. Nothing yeah. bad ever comes from a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Cannibalism, I think, makes. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What is what is light and delightful yeah. about Titus Andronicus? Well, a lot of that I feel like was discovered on its feet. Mm-hmm. That it certain jokes and like ways of encapsulating things like the rape and and uh, were were presented in the original script one way, and then when we got like those scenes on their feet with like physicality, like everything changes so that was probably our like one of our like best tools to just like work through those moments and be like oh that is too much you know because you don't know until you until you try the thing that gives the show its humor is that there isn't anything light and delightful about Titus Andronicus and the conceit of the show is what if William Shakespeare was worried about being politically correct and that's that's where a lot of the humor comes from is when Shakespeare existed that wasn't even a concept so what if he went back 
and it's like, oh, this is gonna offend people. Oh, I know. I'll I'll, I'll throw some feather boas on, and it'll all be fine. Sometimes we go, sometimes we go too far with making things politically correct, and we end up making them far more offensive than they originally were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that like. There are light and delightful aspects of it, like the music and the dancing and everything, but those things almost make it like more horrific. Yeah. Like if you have like a murder that's being committed in a a, a song form, or like you've got like uh, really dance steps indicating like abuse or violation of some sort, then uh, it almost like pushes it over that edge where you go like, well, what am I actually watching? And then it like clicks a gear. My favorite thing about the structure of the show, like being a longtime musical theater lover, is there are so many sort of like iconic musical theater moments in the show that have been imposed on us by the character of Shakespeare. And so we're going to do something and he'll come in and be like, no, you can't do that unless you do it this way. And so then all of a sudden we have to tackle something very heavy with a tap dance or rhythmic gymnastics. or And all of a sudden we add this sort of like hyper glorified, like very like, oh, it's all bright and light. But when you really think about it, it's like, that's awful. But it's kind of funny when you when you see it that way. And, and it's a great way to sort of combine a lot of sort of references to musicals and and to, to contemporary issues and things, but in this very dark world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's cool that, like, kind of one of the conceits, I guess, that, like, I'm seeing in this show is, like, all of the actors start out, like, more or less on board with the concept of turning it into a light and delightful version. And as the show progresses, like, the true nature of... Titus Andronicus is inescapable, and it's like you feel like you feel like the, your character like bubbling up through you as an actor, and you're like, but no, 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 it's supposed to be fun. It's just not like it's, no. you know, and that really kind of adds an interesting like that's an interesting arc like in your like relationship between actor and character that gets played within the show. You're listening to this fringy life on CITR. David Jordan is the executive director of the Fringe Festival. He sees a trend in Fringe plays that put a spin on old classics. One reason is that for a number of years the festival put a 70-minute cap on their plays. But another reason is that Fringe shows are here to push boundaries, and to do that, they've got to pop. I think one of the things that happens at the Fringe is it, um, because there's so much going on, you, you have to grab people's attention. And so I think sometimes those things, those things are a way of grabbing people's attention and <laughs> you know uh, maybe Titus doesn't uh, doesn't uh, grab people's attention on its own but once you call this horrific play about rape and murder uh, a light and delightful comedy people go well that's gonna be something yeah. um, and I think it's also always been a part of the fringe to um, be uh, cheeky or irreverent um, I think that's part of the playfulness of the fringe and, and what the audiences and artists are always engaged in we, we talked about this being a more accessible version of the play why do we uh, why do we want to revisit classics and reinterpret them because they're timeless do you know I mean like if you 
the human condition hasn't changed in 500, 700, 1,000, 2,000 years, you know, if you're looking at old Greek texts or Shakespeare or Chekhov or Ibsen or, or whatever, like, <coughs> that doesn't change and the issues still remain. I mean, that's why, like, Barn of the Beach is so successful. These plays absolutely are still relevant and they have, you know, the same themes and everything, but if you're just going to produce them classically over and over again, you're going to lose new audience members because, I mean, like, we've seen that. We've seen that to the point now where it's, it is almost a parody when people come out, you know, tights and ruffs and ripped shirts holding skulls going, you know, last poor Yorick and everything like that. That's a parody now, you know, so show me something new, you know, set Hamlet in space or whatever, you know, as long as, as long as you're, as long as you're true to the characters and the dialogue and you're playing the relationships as openly and honestly as possible, you can do big, grandiose ideas like that. Yeah, I think especially, like, the themes are still universal, but uh, the way we consume entertainment is really different, and there were a lot of rules about how we do Shakespeare back in the day that are not palatable anymore. And so one of the things that I'm really excited about in this show is the fact that we have a lot of women playing male characters who would not have roles in this play. If you were doing Titus Andronicus traditionally, there are two female characters. Yeah. But, who would you know, originally been played by men. Who would, yeah, originally, <laughs> who would have been played by men, but even, you know, and to expand it and to invite young actors in who wouldn't get the opportunity to play these roles. I mean, especially in Vancouver, how many ingenues do we see in their 30s these days, right? To have 16-year-old kids taking on these really heavy themes and showing it to other teenagers and being like, it's a little bit more relatable when you see it happen to someone who's your contemporary and, you know, for, for a parent or, you know, a teacher to see that and be like, it really changes it when you see it happening to someone who's young. Most playwrights have a favorite work dearest to their heart. A show they are most proud of, each act a work of art. But to the wider crowd, that show just won't connect. A play that never gets its due Titus, the light and delightful musical comedy of Titus Andronicus, runs at the Fringe until September 20th. Thank you for listening to This Fringy Life and stay tuned for more episodes where we'll bring you different stories and themes relevant to the Fringe. And on Thursday, September the 10th, the Arts Report is hosting a special live broadcast from the Fringe Bar at Granville Island. Tune in on CITR from 6 to 8 p.m. or come down to Granville Island where we'll be interviewing Fringe performers and a free concert by Ford Pier Vengeance Trio, Adrian Teacher in the Subs, and City of Glass will follow our show. And that's it for this Fringy Life. 
a special broadcast by the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. For more information about Fringe Fest, follow them at VancouverFringe.com. And for more information on the Arts Report, visit CITR.ca or tune in every Wednesday, 5 to 6 p.m. on CITR 101.9. Double-crossing dames, two-bit heels, cold-blooded killers. That's right, the feverish, fatalistic world of film noir returns to the Cinematheque for another angst-filled August. This year's season features 12 hard-boiled classics, including The Blue Dahlia, Laura, Pick Up on Salt Street, and DOA. Don't miss the opening night on Friday, August 7th, with live music, a special introduction, and screenings of favorites, This Gun for Hire, and Gilda. All ages welcome, 1131 Howe Street. For more info, visit thecinematheque.ca. Lately, UBC Yoga Club is here to offer you a peace of mind. Come out to any of our 17 weekly classes running 7 days a week ranging from 8am to 7pm. We have a class to accommodate your needs and abilities. Check us out at ubcyogaclub.com And again, that was Jake's interview with the cast members of the musical version of Titus Andronicus. Probably for the Fringe Festival. So up next is Brian McDonald. He's going to have another interview, again, for the French Fest in advance of it. This time with uh, dramatic, it's about dramatic works. I'm not really sure what that is. I uh, should have listened to this uh, before I came, but we'll find out. Welcome to this fringy life on CITR 101.9 FM. This is a special broadcast from the Arts Report. Each episode we bring you stories from the Fringe in advance of Fringe Festival. The Vancouver Fringe Festival runs in September from the 10th to the 20th. For more information about Fringe Fest, check out VancouverFringe.com. And for more information about the Arts Report, visit CITR.ca. This is CITR 101.9 FM's series on This Fringy Life, bringing you coverage of the various artists involved in the 2015 Vancouver Fringe Festival. My name is Brian McDonald for The Arts Report and for Skulls Hall on CITR 101.9 FM. This particular edition of This Fringy Life, we talked to the Dramatic Works series artists, people involved in the production of plays that have been produced or written before this particular arts festival. We got a chance to talk to Michael Germont, Kayla Meiji, and Brian Cochran. And we're going to be taking a listen now to those interviews. And you're listening to The Arts Report and Skulls Hall and CITR 101.9 FM. This is our coverage of the Vancouver Fringe Festival, and we are here with Michael Germant. Hello. Hello. Uh, thanks for having me, Brian. Not at all. You are one of the producers and one of the leads in one of the upcoming Fringe plays. Is that right? Yes. So uh, I'm co-producing and performing in the play A Weekend Near Madison. That is going to be playing at the Fringe without giving too much away. And this is a play about people and the struggles that we're going through. So I play Jimmy. I'm an artist in a rut at the beginning of the play. I have hopes of rekindling a past romance with Vanessa, who is now a lesbian. Toward the end of the play, I realize that I need to let go of the past and move forward. How did you get involved in this project? We have a production company called uh, Island Productions. We have a director, Mel Tuck, and my co-producer, Gina Leon, as well as a few other actors that we, uh, we work together. We've done three plays in the last year and a half, Seminar, The Dreamer Examines His Pillow, and Bachelor Holiday. 
Well, it's been really great. Mel Tuck has uh, been a mentor to me. Uh, he's been in this business for uh, decades and decades. He's a reputable figure in the industry. The play itself, um, where does it come from? So it's written by Kathleen Tolan. It was uh, first published in uh, 83, I believe. The action of the play takes place in 1979, so it's toward the end of the first wave of feminism. We wanted an edgy piece that deals with contemporary issues, and um, that's, um, that's a large part of why we picked this play. So although the action takes place in 1979, a lot of these issues are in the media right now. Speaking of being in the media right now, <laughs> where and when is this play going to be performed? Right, so it will be performed at Venn City Culture Lab, which is uh, the Cults Theater at 1895 Venable Street, uh, just at the corner of Victoria. The Fringe runs from the 10th to the 20th of September, and our play runs from September 12th to the 20th. We have six shows. All the information um, as well as uh, tickets are available on the Fringe website, which is tickets.vancouverfringe.com. Is this the first time you've been involved in the Fringe Festival? Yes, it is. We've wanted to put up a play in the Fringe for years, and we finally have the opportunity to do so. Because, I mean, the Fringe is such a reputable platform that celebrates theater, uh, which is something that, you know, we believe in and want to be a part of. Really cool. Are you going to be in the Fringe again next year, do you think? Um, hopefully, yeah. Uh, we're really excited for, uh, for this. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time here. And you've been listening to The Arts Report and Skulls Hall at CITR 101.9 FM. You are tuned in to CITR 101.9 FM. My name is Brian McDonald, and I'm here with The Arts Report and Skulls Hall. And we are here with Kaylin Meiji. Hello. Hello, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing good this rainy day. Yes, and it is rainy. It might still be raining at the time of broadcast. Probably yeah. will, actually, this being Vancouver in September. Um, <laughs> you are one of the artists, one of the directors of one of the various plays that are going to be happening in the Vancouver Fringe Festival. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I am doing a play called A Quiet Place. It's a Canadian play written by a playwright in Toronto named Brendan Gall. Um, I'm part of a sort of specialized fringe uh, project, which is called Dramatic Works. So there's six of us who are producing previously published plays, because the Fringe Festival is typically plays that are new or first runs of plays, but all of us are doing ones that have already been done. Uh, my play, A Quiet Place, in a sort of general, simplified way, is about two men trapped in a room with no door. In an overarching thematic way, it's about two men who are put into a situation where they have no control over. It's about how each of them deals with the unknown, and we watch them through about an hour, how they're dealing with this room that has nothing in it except a chair. Uh, my performers, they're named Mark Manning and Tosh Sutherland. Mark went to Studio 58 and Tosh, he goes to Simon Fraser. What has it been like to put this together? This is second Fringe show that I've produced and directed and the third that I've been a part of. This has actually been relatively easy because I'm working with two of my friends, two people that I've acted with before. Uh, we get along, which is really good, especially for the Fringe Festival, because we've been rehearsing in my very tiny apartment so that I don't have to pay exorbitant rehearsal fees. It's difficult and time-consuming because I'm not just directing, I'm also producing and trying to market it all. 
and get all the costumes and props together, which can take up time. And now that we're very close to the Fringe Festival, it's getting a little bit stressful. What was the production you did uh, for your first Fringe Festival? The first one I did was the site-specific piece that took place on the docks just beside the market. I was a part of another program that they had that was called OnSite, where a theater company called The Only Animal taught us how to make site-specific pieces. Speaking of site-specific pieces, how did you come to choose this particular play for this year's Fringe Festival? With my company called Psyche Theater, I generally like to do Canadian pieces of work. I just have an affinity for Canadian voices. I think that a lot more should be done about promoting Canadian artists and playwrights. So I often will go to the Vancouver Library and just sit in their play section and just read short one-act plays. I found this one online, actually, uh, looking at the Canadian Playwrights Guild list when I was searching for a one-act, one-hour-long play with at least two people in it. And I just came across it, and I read it, and I just fell in love with it. Speaking of being able to fall in love with this particular play, where can we go to see you perform it and to fall in love with it ourselves? My play is at the Colch in their culture lab up on Venables Street. Like the Fringe, it's six performances that are all at different times. Mine are the Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday, each Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday of the festival. So the 10th, the 12th, the 13th, the 17th, the 19th, and the 20th, all at different times. The easiest way to find tickets for my Fringe show or any of the Fringe festival shows that anyone wants to go to is go to the Vancouver fringe.com website and look at tickets and there you can also buy my tickets through the culture's website directly Uh, do the actors want to jump in and just say hi to our listeners actors do you want to say hello hey how's it going sure my name is uh tosh sutherland and uh i'm mark manning who are you guys playing in the upcoming production uh well i'm playing david and i tosh am playing uh, a character named henry and who are these guys it's a great question. They are two men found themselves in a room with no recollection of what went on prior to the room. They both uh, react in completely different ways to the situation. I think of it as a uh, sort of odd couple type scenario where they're not allowed to leave the room. <laughs> so just think about someone who's the exact opposite of you and what would happen if you were locked in the room with them. That's a great way to put it, yeah. Well, that sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun to see. Thank you very much for your time today, Kaylin. No, thank you. Yes, this is Brian McDonald from CITR 101.9 FM. You're tuned in to CITR 101.9 FM. My name is Brian, and I'm here with Brian. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks, Brian. Yourself? Not bad. And I'm Brian McDonald, and this is... I'm Brian Cochran, Cochran yeah. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're involved in this year's Vancouver Fringe Festival. Yes, yes I am. As a director? Yeah, directing two different plays. Tell us a little bit about them. Sure. Uh, So I'm directing one is called The Four of Us. Uh, It's by an American playwright. His name's Itamar Moses. Uh, And it's based on his real-life friendship with the author Jonathan Saffron Four, who wrote uh, Everything is Illuminated and Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, which were both turned into big Hollywood movies. Uh, so in this play, it's about two guys who are uh, in their early 20s. One's a playwright, one's a novelist. 
and the novelist gets this huge multi-million dollar advance book deal. Playwright wants to be happy for him, but has a really hard time, and so it kind of looks at, at the way that major success plays out in their friendship. And how did you come about choosing that play for this year's festival? I've known this play for a long time. It's about nine or ten years old now. I'm doing it with a couple of friends, Jay Clift and Alex Rose are the two performers. We all like the playwright, Edomar Moses, quite a bit. I think we've all been looking for a project to do together, and this this opportunity to do it in the Fringe, it's in what they call the Dramatic Works series at the Culture Lab at the Cult at uh, Venables and Victoria. So they have a specific series just for previously published plays all in one place because the Fringe is predominantly original work. Uh, so we're part of this side series. It's the second year that they're doing it. And uh, yeah, it just seemed like a good opportunity for us to get together. I've worked with both those guys before. Was hoping to again. Two men, yeah, it's a 90-minute relentless performance from both of them. They got no breaks. They're barely ever off stage or anything. Oh, that sounds amazing. What was it like to uh, rehearse this? What was it like to get them to work together? Have they worked together? Yeah, they've worked together? together. They both went to uh, Studio 58, so I'm a UBC grad. I have an MFA in directing from UBC, and these guys both have acting program from Studio 58 at Langara College, and they were actually roommates for a year when they were going to school, so they know each other really well, and they have a, a real shorthand. Uh, like old friends should, and that really helps. Uh, rehearsing it has been really cool. It's been uh, part-time all summer, which you don't usually get. Usually in professional theater, you go two, if you're lucky, three or four weeks of uh, of more or less full-time. And this has been more like playing in a band with buddies. We've been getting together sort of two or three times a week for a few hours in the evening, just in somebody's apartment. It's been really good. It's a really heightened focus on just the connection between the actors and the story of each scene because we're doing it it's a really minimal play to begin with, and then we're just rehearsing in living rooms up till now. Don't ex- we don't even have the, the small amount of space we're going to have in the theater. Uh, that said, the Kulch has very graciously given us a residency in the space, uh, so starting tomorrow we get to rehearse in the actual theater we're performing in for a week before we do it, which is always beneficial. We know where this play is going to be. When is this one going to be on? Uh, we've got six performances. The first one is uh, sub- September 11th at 7.45 p.m. That one's half price. The Fringe is already the cheapest theater in town. Uh, but we have six shows, September 11th, 7.45, September 12th, 9.55, uh, September 15th, 2.55, three more later in the week. You can get it all at VancouverFringe.com. Click on over to the box office section and look for the four of us. Uh, and if you look for the four of us in uh, Facebook, you, you should find our event as well uh, in there. So pretty easy to learn about one show amidst the, uh, the hundred or so going on in the Fringe, yeah. It's really funny. It's kind of a coming-of-age story. They go ages 17 to 27, although not in chronological order. So it's a lot of fun to watch this play because as you realize that we're jumping time back and forth, it makes you reevaluate what you thought you knew from a previous scene because you get it gets recontextualized constantly throughout. So it's it's a bit cerebral without being too confusing. <laughs> then you're directing. That's right, man. Uh, that one is called Oh the Humanity. Uh, it's by Will Eno, another great American playwright. It's playing at the Fire Hall Arts Center, so that's just off of Main Street on Cordova. It's Staircase Theater, local company that's really up and coming. Two actors are Marianne Renzetti and Brad Duffy, uh, with a special appearance from Tom Pickett, who uh, Vancouver theater nerds will know because he's been around a long time, uh, and he pops in for a second, that one. Uh, it's five short, absurd comedies about how uh, the beauty of life is all around us and we're constantly missing it. 
It's, it's a lot of fun. It really will leave you kind of ward drunk. The playwright plays with language in a really funny, just like humane way, if yeah. that, I don't know if that makes any sense. Uh, but he does a great job of just punching up how utterly human we all are in spite of maybe our best efforts to transcend that. Two different plays with two different casts. Yeah. Two incredibly different emotional tones to reach for. Yeah. What's it been like doing that at the same time for the same festival? I'd love to say that it's been like right brain, left brain, but maybe it's been right brain, right brain. It's, it's good. I think it's good when you're a practicing artist to be working on more than one thing at a time. Helps you not to go too deep so as to maybe uh, not see the forest for the trees type of thing. I'm having a lot of fun with both of them. I got, I'm friends with all the people I'm working with. Uh, I love the scripts, which is what made me sort of drawn to both these projects in the first place. Uh, I love the Fringe Festival. I think it's the most sort of democratized version of, of live theater that we have right now in terms of uh, the ticket prices are quite affordable. All the shows are $14, and then you have to buy a one-time Fringe membership for 5 uh, so your first show is 19, and everything after that's 14. Uh, so way cheaper than any other professional theater you're going to get. And there's just this huge, it's got a bit of a circus fest vibe to it. There's about 100 shows on, uh, a lot of them on Granville Island, a lot of them over in East Van at the Culch and Havana. Uh, and then you have little satellites like the Fire Hall popping up all together. So it's, it's different from the rest of, of what we have to offer uh, theatric. Every time I do a fringe, I say it's going to be the last time I do it. Uh, and then a year will pass, and then I, I go back. So there's something really honest about if you're making theater with, without a lot of grant funding or, or something that's a little outside the box, you don't want to worry too much about, I don't know, I mean, in Vancouver, space costs so much money, so you're always worried about making your money back on yeah. your space kind of thing, and, and it removes a lot of those worries uh, and lets you really do maybe like art for the art's sake, which is the weird, sad thing about when you become a quote-unquote professional artist, is, uh, is yeah. that seems like a, a faraway dream notion sometimes. Space is tough in yeah. Vancouver, and you never know what people are going to be drawn to coming out to see, and, uh, and I find that really endlessly fascinating. Speaking of being drawn to going to see it, the play at the Fire Hall, can you tell us when that one is? Yeah, that's Oh, the Humanity. It starts September 11th as well in the evening and runs six days in a row. It's, uh, 11th to 16th at the Fire Hall. Tickets again at VancouverFringe.com. That one's Oh, the Humanity. Also pretty easy to find on Facebook, uh, as is the four of us. And if you come to both my shows, I'll, I'll buy you a beer. And so we've been here with Brian Cochran, the director of Oh, the Humanity, and the four of us, even though there's two of them. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming in and talking to Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Yes, and I'm Brian McDonald again with the Arts Report and Skull Toll at CITR 101.9 FM. And that wraps up this edition of This Fringy Life. For CITR 101.9 FM, this is Brian McDonald saying see you next time. And that's it for This Fringy Life, a special broadcast by The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. For more information about Fringe Fest, follow them at VancouverFringe.com. And for information on The Arts Report, visit CITR.ca or tune in every Wednesday, 5 to 6 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM. Like film? Cinephiles, movie buffs, and voyeurs alike rejoice with their new weekly feed, satisfying your filmic curiosity, your lust for cinema, your critical edge. UBC Film Society, the on-campus place for cinematic pleasure, brings you The Real World, a segment dedicated to both contemporary and classic films, the industry, and Vancouver's film scene. Every week, 8 to 9 a.m. on Thursdays on CITR 101.9 FM.
Whoever said money can't buy you friends obviously wasn't a member at CITR. When you become a member, you get the Friends of CITR card with incredible discounts in the UBC and Kitsilano area at Australian Boot Company, Banyan Books and Sound, The Bike Kitchen, The Cove, Dantry's Pub, Displace Hashery, Limelight Video, The Eatery, Fresh's Best Salsa, Gargoyle's Bar and Grill, Lotus Land Tattoo, Nuba Kitsilano, Prussian Music, Rufus's Guitar Shop, and the UBC Bookstore. To find out more, visit us in room 233 of the sub on the UBC campus or go online to citr.ca. And we're back to 101.9 FM. This is the Arts Report. It's 543. And you just listened to well, a few ads. But before that was Brian McDonald's interview with um, some, of the, some of the Dramatic Works guys for Fringe Festival. And here with me is Christine, who's going to plug one of the Dramatic Works Right, Christine? Yes. Um, so the one of the plays um, in the dramatic works is called Blackbird, um, and it is directed by Tanya Mativanan. Um, so why don't I give everybody just a brief overview of what Blackbird is about? Um, so this is the uh, press release, I guess, summary of Blackbird. A young woman confronts a middle-aged man at his work about the emotional and sexual relationship that they had in the past. What initially seems to set the stage for a showdown with a jilted lover um, takes a tragic turn when it is revealed that the affair took place when the man, Ray, was 40 and the woman, Una, was only 12. The fallout resulted in Ray being sentenced to prison and Una ostracized and conflicted, becoming emotionally shattered. This September, old wounds are torn apart as they come face-to-face for the first time in 15 years. A profound, harrowing play that neither condones nor condemns, it nevertheless refuses, refuses to shy away from the brutal truths and harsh realities of the situation. So as you guys can all kind of tell, it's a pretty um, dramatic <laughs> and emotional um, production. Um, a little bit of the background of Blackbird. Um, it was written by David Harrower, um, and the script was initially commissioned for the 2005 Edinburgh International Film Festival. So it does have um, roots in the film festival, in the Fringe Festival. Um, it it moved to the West End in London, where it received the 2007 Lawrence Olivier Award for Best New Play. Um, so it's got quite a credited, I guess, run, and it's coming back this year, 2015, um, to this year's Vancouver International Fr- Fringe Festival. Um, I hope that a lot of people will come see Blackboard because it sounds like it's going to be a really, really... Um, profound and moving play. The other reason why I would suggest people to come see it um, is because of who is directing it, Tanya Mativanan. Um, I've seen her uh, work for last year's International Fringe, uh, for last year's Vancouver Fringe Festival, um, and it was also for the dramatic um, work series, and it was called The Zoo Story, and I really really enjoyed that play and I enjoyed how um, how much of a good time it was just um, just seeing how 
sometimes plays don't always have to be about the entertainment. Sometimes plays can be about um, the thoughts and the ideas and the controversial issues that it deals with. Right. Um, so what is it about Tanya's direction, do you think, that brings to her her her, 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 sorry, her plays? Uh, well, I've seen two of her plays, The Zoo Story and also, um, oh, what's the other one that I can't seem to remember? But anyways, I think that the way that Tanya directs, I think she can really pull out the um, artistic talent of every single actor or actress that she works with. Um, I'm always shocked at how much talent um, is shown through the acting ability of these actors and actresses that she gets to play, that she gets to um, take part in her play. Um, and I guess beyond how well performed um, the well performed her productions are, I do think that um, they're very at least the two that I saw they were very simple in setup in um, setup in um, kind of there's not too much glamour or um, big props yeah props to those plays um and i think with that kind of scarce that kind of scarcity you really do need to be able to keep the audience engaged and every single time i've gone i've always been so pulled in to the productions um and i attribute that to obviously like the actors and actresses ability to perform but also to how she can make so much out of so little she can take just like a setting of just one chair or one bench and she can direct people to oh um, you should stand here at this moment raise your voice at this time Um, and obviously she's collaborating with a lot of different people but I do think that her go-ahead really does create a production that um, that that really like hits what just very simple theater can be and how, um, yeah, and how kind of nice it is to see something that doesn't always rely on like big musical numbers or big, um, big name, I guess, Hollywood actors and actresses. But I mean, on the topic of Tanya, and if anyone listening is interested to kind of see more of her, her works or like um, even kind of get connected with uh, the works that she's working on now. Um, she founded Enigma Theater, and that's the avenue by which she, um, and that's the uh, avenue by which she produces most of her works. Um, and so, um, this is the kind of uh, this is the mission statement of Enigma Theater that I'd like to share. Um, it's and this can be found directly on Enigma Theater's website. Um, it's called. So it says, the goal of Enigma Theater is to produce plays that delve into the human psyche in order to turn a microscopic lens onto the individual in the hopes of providing a better understanding of our fellow people and ourselves. I love this mission statement because I can totally see how every single play that she produces or picks um, is never really like a play that's just even like 70% just for like entertainment you know like mm-hmm. the, the the themes of the plays that she produces are always quite um thought provoking and deep so i mean 
I'm, I think that Blackbird is going to be definitely a lot more heavier than some of the other productions that she's um, produced. Just hearing, you know, the premise of the play, it's about um, a girl who was sexually assault assaulted when she was 12. Like, that's very heavy stuff. So um, I'm definitely going to have to emotionally prepare myself. But I'm excited, and I'm so looking forward to how she's going to... Um, how she's going to make this play um, super accessible, but also um, I'm excited to see how she's going to work her magic um, and see how she's going to bring life to the play without um, without using you know things like big props, things like things that require I guess a lot of finances. Sure, yeah, you've made quite the case uh, for Tanya and Blackbird. Pretty excited. <laughs> yeah, well, she was actually one of the first people, one of the first Vancouver-based um, directors that I got connected to when I began to be a theater correspondent for the Arts Report. Um, and this was two years ago, and up until now, um, I mean, every single production that she's invited me to come see, um, I've just been so blown away by them. And... Um, I'm kind of sad that I won't be able to go see this play before its final day of production so I can do a review of it here on um, the Arts Report. Um, I'm going to go see Blackbird on the final day of its production, so that means I'm going to have to come here yeah. after the whole thing has done its run-through. Um, so that being said, you guys won't be able to listen to my review and then go watch it, but please take my word for it. Um, I... I have a very high hopes for this particular entry in the Fringe Fest Festival. Yeah, and when does this first start airing? Um, so not airing, but <laughs> begin its run. Yes. <laughs> Movies so, have poisoned my mind. Uh, it starts on September 11th, and it's going to run all the way to the 19th. Um, Blackbird is going to be performed at the Cultural Lab at the Culch, um, and tickets are $14.00. Um, and you can find your way to tickets, find your way to more information about the specific show times on each day by going to www.vancouverfringe.com. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would really encourage people to check this play out, um, as well as also just check out Adingma Theater and see, um, and kind of stay tuned for other productions that they have coming up. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. So up next is another Christine Kim special. She had an interview with, um, who, who was it with? Who it was, was with uh, Christian, the director, actually, of the Vancouver Latin American Film Festival. And um, he was talking to me about what VLAP is and kind of um, the process by which they bring together all these Latin American films because this year the spotlight country, Latin American country, is Mexico. And um, what's really exciting about this year's film festival is they're bringing in, you know, um, these kind of big, um, big name, um, big name directors and actors and actresses, um, Mexican directors, um, actors and actresses from abroad to um, show their show their films um, in Vancouver and and uh, and yeah I, I think that uh, this interview will um, 
kind of say everything that I was going to say, so I won't spoil it anymore. Without further ado. Yeah. Um, I'm Christine um, from the Arts Report, and um, I'm here to ask you a couple questions about the festival this year. Um, so tell me about Laugh, and tell me about why you think it's important that we have a film festival um, specifically for Latin American films um, in Vancouver. Uh, well, the Vancouver Latin American Film Festival is the largest film festival, Latin American film festival in Canada. It's been going on for 13 years. And every year the festival hosts a, a country as, as the spotlight uh, country that we decide on to focus with a, a wider a program. This year is Mexico is the guest country. And I think it's important to attend any arts festival in Vancouver, not only our festival, because I think civic society has a responsibility to attend the film festivals that are organized by uh, by arts organizations, non-profit organizations, so they can uh, keep going in the city and to sustain a, a vibrant um, a vibrant art life in the city. And tell me a little bit about the selection process of um, the country. And I know this year it's Mexico, like you said. Um, how did you guys come to that conclusion? Well. Um, well, within Latin America, there are uh, there are 24 countries, if I'm not mistaken, and there are just a few that are like big countries that have a a big film big big film production. So since I uh, started directing the festival five years ago, we had Argentina, uh, Chile, Colombia, and uh, Argentina, Chile, Argentina, Chile, and Colombia as the guest countries. And next year, we'll, next year we we'll have Brazil, and this year in Mexico. Those are the countries that produce most uh, films per year. All other countries, uh, are, they have a very small film uh, production, like Bolivia produces three films per year, or Paraguay, just a few. So it's basically we just look in, uh, basically in the way we choose the guest country is depending on the support that we have from the, the Minister of, of, of Cinema, or Minister of Arts from the, the specific country, and if we have uh, the, the consular support, which uh, we ask for that support, from the uh, from the diplomatic representation from the con from the country, this case is Mexico, so they they accept to be the guest country, and this is how we go on in choosing the guest country. Was it any more difficult this year mm -hmm. trying to um, contact those kind of diplomats, contacting like I guess making those those arrangements through the government? Uh, no, it's always uh, we we don't ask a lot because. Because, uh, because it just you, we don't ask a lot because the festival has the uh, most of the financial support from the festival comes from the three different levels of the Canadian government. That's just merely a diplomatic support and some you know uh, help to bring filmmakers here and to have some cocktails. But in general, it, the festival runs itself. We don't need uh, other kind of support such as diplomatic. It's just more than we have their support and and it's, it's a good connection to work with directly with the. Uh, diplomats or Minister of Cultures from those countries. And I saw that um, on your profile you've been with Black for over four years now. Um, for yourself, do you think that there's any like different filming techniques or like a different way of filming with Latin American films than with Ameri North American films? In terms of similar in the independent Canadian films to independent uh, Latin American films, I think it's pretty much the same. 
I mean, also when you ask about Latin America, you have to keep in mind there are more than 20 countries. So it depends with the country that you ask, and I can more <laughs> directly ask the question. But the, for example, Mexico is a guest country. Yeah. In Mexico, the financial support from the state, from the government, to the filmmakers is, is really, really big, more okay. than in Canada or more than in the United States, because in the, in the United States they don't have the state support is more as. Um, it's a studio support or independent filmmakers. So it depends the country. In Mexico, have a lot of support, Brazil or 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 Colombia, but uh, more support than in Canada. So that's the difference in terms of financial support, in terms of techniques. You know, now with the new technologies, everybody has the option to have a camera and make a film. So that's how that's why how the, the film production. In, in small countries have increased a lot because it is easy to have access to technology now and cheaper. Are you looking forward to um, any particular films this year? Um, what's something about the festival that you most look forward to? I think the, the Mexican section, the program, because it's a very comprehensive section, there's a very comprehensive program. We have new directors. Uh, from Mexico, we have uh, classics, from films from 1950s that were presented to classics. We have a retrospective of, uh, of a director called Juan Antonio de la Riva, and he directed films in the 80s and 90s that were very important for the Mexican, Mexico's film history. So the, the Mexican program is a very wide program, and we're very happy to, to be presenting it in Vancouver. Have you spoken to many of the Mexican directors and actors um, so far? What do you think? How are they feeling? Like, Are they really excited to yes, I, I, be part of this? Like, I, yeah, I spend a lot of time in Mexico. That's where I'm from, so I, I know a lot of the films directors and uh, f uh, we have about four film directors from Mexico and actors coming so they're going to be here to talk to the Vancouver audiences and that's very important for them and for the Vancouver audience to have a con direct contact with the film directors but yes I think it's, it's even though we're a small festival in comparison to the large film festivals we're actually a very established festival that is happening for more than a decade so uh, the, the, we choose not very many films so the films that we choose uh, are very select so that's why I think now we have a People know about our festival, so they're happy to to come to Vancouver, and they're happy in that are they are they are selected in Vancouver. Hmm. That's and what I think. But the directors should say they're happy. <laughs> Can you tell me about what the criteria is for a Mexican film to get into this? For Mexico, this year is different because it's the guest country. So we have a section for competition that's called the new directors, and that doesn't have to include Mexican directors. It includes two Mexican directors out of eight, but it doesn't have to be that way. We just choose the best, what we think are the best eight new directors from Latin America. Um, and in general, the, the other parts from Mexico, we, when we have a guest country, we always do a retrospective on a specific director, so that's why we choose uh, the director that I mentioned to do a retrospective and the, film and the classics that we're presenting. Uh, from the 1950s, that's also because Mexico is the guest country. But in general, the the criteria to choose films at the festival, we, we select a lot of films from new directors from Latin America, and, uh, and, and, and we choose films that are made with a very uh, uh, in, uh, an artistic level, but not that are super, uh, there, is, there is not only films for a niche of, of cinephiles. So we try to to appeal to the, to the broader audience that like good cinema, but also they just don't like these weird uh, films, these art house films. So we, we, we select a films that have an important artistic merit, but they, they can appeal to a broader audience. Hmm. Um, so just a couple more questions, yeah. but um, what's left to do for the preparation of LAF? Right? Uh, well, today we are a yeah. week to the festival, so basically 
a promotion uh, so it's because all, all the films arrive like physically the films are here the program guys are on the street all the Oh, everything is really ready now is promotion and you know in, in, in box office uh, we're selling tickets all that but basically the festival itself is actually prepared we're just waiting for the audience to, to come and we're just waiting for uh, for the festival to start but the festival itself in terms of production is, is basically finished how do you think VLAF has grown over the past um, four years and where do you hope that um, VLAF will go in like well, when the festival started, it was very small. It was a three-day festival and, and went on four, five, six. So for the last uh, six years, the festival has been, uh, it's been it happens during 11 days. So I think we reached the limit, the days. That's uh, for us a limit of days. And I think that's, that's pretty much what, what it's going to be, 11 days. That's, that's enough for us. And we don't really like to grow the festival more. We like to have, we like, we like to have a better festival, have better films. Uh, um, bec- there is a lot of conditions when you want a film. The, the distributor has to accept. It's, it's not only that you want a film and you bring the film. It has, there are a lot of conditions to bring a film. So we like to have better films. And we certainly want to, to have more audience. I mean, we have a, a good average of people attending the festival. We, we do certainly want more people attending the festival. And we would love to have every seat taken during the festival. So that's what we're really looking at. Not make it bigger, but have more audience and, and have a better festival. So most of our audience members are UBC students. Um, if you could tell them a couple of reasons why they should get their butts down to uh, downtown and come to see at least you know a couple films um, at the festival, what would you say? I think they should attend the festival. I don't know what they studied at UBC, but I think it's a, it's a very unique way to learn about Latin America. That's what I would tell them. If they have any interest in the 